0: loving God. We confess that we talk a good game about unity, but we don't like to play it all the time. We claim unity on our home court with our own rules. We talk about being on the same team, but ignore those who don't play the same way we do, or tell them they're doing it wrong. We become competitive and aggressive when, when we all have the same goal in mind to follow you, to live into your ways. Remind us that our churches, our neighborhoods, our homes are not places to demonstrate our superiority, but our humility. Through Christ, though Christ was in the form of God, Christ did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, Christ humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because Christ was raised, we know the fullness of God's love and compassion. We are forgiven and set free. We have the power to go into the world and share God's love. This is our calling. This is our commitment. Go with all of Christ's humility to serve and share as Christ did, that God is here now on earth as it is in heaven. Loving creator, we give you thanks and praise. On this World Communion Sunday, we are reminded that you made us all in your image, all with different gifts, but the same spirit. In all parts of the earth, we have come to know you in different ways through our cultures and traditions and teachings, but we are united in your love for us demonstrated in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We give our thanks for your wondrous diversity that breathes in each of us, and we share together our common humanity and our common hope that is found in you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. The witness of Scripture comes from Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 through 15. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when the, they prepare, what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it, it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, They looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat.
1: A week from tomorrow, in case you did not know, our neighbors to the north will celebrate Thanksgiving Day. Timed to the fall harvest, the Canadian celebration of Thanksgiving is about six weeks ahead of the U.S. celebration. Regardless of when that day is held, Thanksgiving celebrates the wondrous bounty of this good earth and our interdependence with and appreciation for all those who keep us fed and nourished. We remember the farmer and the harvester. We remember the dock loader and the shelf stocker because it always takes a village for us to live. All of this is possible In fact, the gift of life is possible because as the wonderful hymn, Come, Ye Thankful People, Come so perfectly sings it, God our maker does provide for our wants to be supplied. We celebrate bread from heaven. The church in its wisdom is actually ahead of culture when it comes to Thanksgiving. For before either Canadians or Americans gather at tables to give thanks, the church across the world, transcending national boundaries and denominational expressions, gathers at the table to celebrate World Communion Sunday. Given that First Christian Church of Norman in particular and the Christian Church Disciples of Christ in general celebrates communion every Sunday, we might wonder how today is any different. Simply put, more people are sitting down to this meal today than on any other Sunday. Although Jesus gave this meal 2,000 years ago to any and to all his disciples, and shortly thereafter the early church instituted, instituted it, World Communion Sunday is actually a relative newcomer to the table. You may remember that the tradition began in 1933 by Hugh Thompson Kerr, who ministered at the Shadyside Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The idea was to bring churches together in a service of Christian unity to inspire and to inform and to affirm how all churches are connected with one another. By 1936, the Presbyterian Church had adopted the practice of World Communion Sunday, and by 1940, the National Council of Churches endorsed its celebration for Christian churches worldwide. The Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, which from its beginning has affirmed efforts for unity, was and remains a natural fit for World Communion Sunday. The timing of a global day for communion, or Eucharist as it is also called, which is a fine church word meaning Thanksgiving, seems obvious enough. That timing, harvest time. We also notice that World Communion Sunday began in 1933 amidst the depths of a global depression. As the flames of global conflict were flickering in Europe. And that seems an unlikely time for Thanksgiving. And yet, perhaps especially in such a time, it is important to remember and to give thanks. Thanks given not as denial, but for perspective, not in isolation, but for community. As the church gathers in person locally and in spirit globally, in a time different but perhaps no less stressful than when World Communion Sunday was first held 90 years ago, we might also recall another community of people assembled. It was thousands of years ago that they were gathered not in the confines of a beautiful, sacred building, but wandering in the expanse of a desert wilderness. We remember our ancient faith ancestors had labored hard for years under the oppressive thumb of Pharaoh, whose brick quotas only deepened their despair, a despair so pronounced their cries were heard by God, who liberated them, from the cruelty of all that had been, and sent them toward a promise of what will be. Today's story from Exodus joins this parade of liberation 30 days into their wilderness sojourn as the exhilaration of passing through the parted sea with unmoistened feet has given way to lamenting of their dwindling supplies with a strident voice. The food they'd managed to pack away in their hasty escape from Egypt has now all but run out and the desert shows no promise of a meal. They're afraid, they're annoyed, They're ready to return to Egypt where, even though their employment was oppressive, at least they had three squares a day and a dependable schedule. And with the desert sand as their gritty gruel, their memories had faded. They'd forgotten their oppression, and they'd forgotten their liberation. They were ready to toss out Moses and Aaron as their leaders, and they had decided that God had left them for dead. This part of Exodus, this section, and part of the next chapter, as our ancient ancestors doubled down on their complaints, has been subsequently named the murmuring Tradition. Peter Gromes describes it this way. Where there is not outright rebellion, but a low-grade grumbling fever. Not outright war, but an undercurrent of moaning and groaning, of complaining and kvetching, the sort of literal irritants that make up the day, the week, the year, our lives. The murmuring tradition is one we all know nothing worth causing a fuss about, yet never quite satisfied. If faith is one part tradition, then the murmuring tradition gets handed down, and when it is active, nostalgia is idolized. And the future, as Yogi Berra once said, ain't what it used to be. (laughs) Whether our ancient ancestors, or our next-door neighbors, we're familiar with the murmuring tradition. You know, if this were improved, if you were better, if you just did what I wanted you to do, if the football team would win by 65 points every Sunday, Saturday, and now, Oh boy. Our many technologies and the unyielding ideologies give ample opportunity for amplified murmuring. And we note that although there would be times when both Moses and God were ready to be done with this kvetching crowd, thankfully never at the same time, in this story, God's response is neither judgment nor anger. Instead, God responds out of who God is, abundantly, generously, graciously. Which is exactly why we remember this story on World Communion Sunday. God is, as God does, responding to complaint with compassion, providing generosity where there is grumbling. As the story is told in Exodus, God hears their complaints, just as God did when our ancestors languished in their labor camps. What God provides is not a four-course banquet, nor a sumptuous feast for a few to be satiated, but a plate of plenty for all to be fed. And there is a delightful pun in the story that unfortunately is lost in our English translations. When God provides this flaky substance revealed on the ground as the morning dew burns off, the Israelites ask a logical question Manna? Manha? It means, what is it? Manha. It becomes the word manna. What is it? And as our wandering ancestors pick up enough for the day not to hoard for themselves, but to live in such a way that all will have enough to eat, surely they remember, as we do on World Communion Sunday, that from the beginning it has been God's good way to nourish life with a daily quota of bread and not a daily quota of bricks. So lest we ever forget, we pray each Sunday, give us this day our daily bread. In the middle of their wilderness complaining, our ancestors ask a wonderful question. What is it? this manna that God provides. And we do well to ask the very same question of this manna placed on this table and in the midst of whatever wilderness wandering might be ours in any given moment. What is it, this communion we celebrate? What is it that is nutritious in this wonder bread from heaven? It is, we affirm, the bread of reconciliation. Perhaps we might recall the Chapel of Reconciliation. It is the bombed out shell of the Coventry Cathedral in England. There is no entry into the restored and gloriously rebuilt cathedral without first going through the ruins. It's testimony to hate and enmity between nations and between peoples. Yet, the rebuilt and restored cathedral proclaims, as does this table, that destruction and despair is never the end. Yes, we pass through what has been estranged and broken, but there is the bread of reconciliation that awaits we both remember and live into that reconciliation with every communion meal. What is it, this bread from heaven? It is that loaf proclaiming God's love for the world, for the world. That place not abandoned by God, but that place beloved of God. That place where everything that is made has something of God in it. Yes, this bread from heaven is grown in the goodness of God's earth. And it is our calling to nurture this breadbasket of a world God has created. And we remember that. When we sit down to this meal. What is it? This bread from heaven. It is symbol and sign of God's presence in human form in Jesus Christ who breaks the bread and who shares the cup. As God invested in both in the child born in the manger into the world and the woman who is God bearer, so we invest our lives into the world. God has not chosen to act in the form of phenomena, wrote Peter Gomes. Instead, God has chosen to act in the form of men and women who know God and love God and serve God. By God's love for us in Jesus Christ, we are become in ourselves in our daily work, Acts of God, evidence, living proof that the God who has acted in the lives of the prophets and the martyrs and the saints still acts in the likes and the lives of each one of us. When the Disciple Stance class meets, as it has done for the past three weeks, we answer the what is it question. We affirm that communion is the central, essential expression of our worship. We are the stewards, Christ is the host. And because we are the stewards and Christ is the host, we do not police or bounce anyone from this table. There are no walls, there are no boundaries here. There are no conditions or exceptions. We serve one another with joy and gratitude. We do not eye one another with suspicion and critique. And we need this open table, especially in a world where the rhetoric of certitude and the dogmas of exclusivity would seek to teach us otherwise, would seek to cause us to forget manna in the wilderness, the wonder bread from heaven. It's been years ago now, after a delightful evening of preaching at another church in another city, it came time for communion. It was the practice of that church to serve communion to some, but not to all. That's a decision made by each congregation a right to decide which i defend whether or not i agree with the decision so i was forewarned before worship started not to receive communion and because of that i was planning to sit there quietly while others received the sacrament now just as the minister of that church got up he'd been sitting beside me to move toward the altar to give communion, he sent a nonverbal reminder for me to stay seated, just in case I had forgotten. As he walked away from me, here's what he did nobody else saw it, I saw it. It was subtle. And it was sure. Today, as stewards of this table, we have assembled to wave you in. To wave you in to this table and to declare a happy Thanksgiving to Canadians and to Americans. And anywhere in the world where people gather to a table hosting the bread from heaven. Bread that as the old hymn sings so well, God graciously feeds us till we want no more.